Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me, in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angels stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Let's open up God's word to Acts chapter 11. We are seeking to really look at what God is saying to us, and we respond. We respond by his grace accordingly. So while you're opening up to Acts chapter 11, we're going to really take a high-level view through verses 1 through 18 that Dane just read. But we're going to dip down in, and we're going to try to answer a question, how does God really save sinners? What happens? What's involved? And I think you would want to know, because Christian, if we are given the mission by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to witness of him to the end of the earth, and you have an opportunity to be able to talk to a spiritually lost person, which I believe you're going to have many opportunities in life, then you really want to know what actually happens. How does God save lost sinners? Well, have you ever wondered... Why Luke? Now I want to get you thinking. So everybody get your thinking going, put it in gear, get your mind in gear. That's the way you listen to preaching. You want to be a thinker. Have you ever wondered why Luke, who wrote the book of Acts under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, why did Luke give so much attention to the story of Peter's vision in Cornelius' salvation? When the Bible repeats itself twice, you really need to take note of that. When it repeats itself four times, like it does in part in this story, that is a blaring and glaring exclamation point. And you remember the ancient language did not have the grammatical tools that you and I enjoy, like italicizing, 
bolding, underline, exclamation points. They didn't have those. Here's what they did. They had two ways to really draw attention to the scriptures. One was by using superlatives. When you pile superlatives one on another, that's to build it. And it's to really draw your attention like a crescendo at the end of an orchestral arrangement. The other way that they would really draw attention to itself, to the Word of God, is by repetition. So when you see something happening over and over, you've got to realize God is really saying and particular, particularly here, it cannot be more clear. The gospel of Jesus Christ is for all nations, not just the Jewish people. But remember, I asked you a moment ago, why did or have you considered why Luke gave so much attention to this story? Well, let me give you a second reason. It serves to show just how deep the divide was between Jewish people and Gentile people. Now, just as true today as it was then, there are only Jewish people and Gentile people. And there were some in the church who could not fathom, some in the early church, they could not understand, could not get their mind around the fact that God loved Gentiles as he loved the Jewish people. So something has to change. Now, I want you to hear this because there's things, friends, come on, let's just admit it. Let's, there's things in your life and there's things in my life that must change. And something had to change in the early church before the gospel would ever be able to go to the end of the earth. Now, I want you to imagine something that I'm going to give you a bit of a picture of. Imagine being a homeowner who has a cracked water pipe that is flooding your basement. Now, you got that? You've got a cracked inlet pipe, and it's flooding the basement of your home. So you hire a company to install a sump pump, but you never really address the cracked, gushing pipe. The flooding continues in your basement despite the non-stop effort of the pump. And you can see just how ridiculous that analogy really is. Who would actually do that? Well, that's really exactly what you and I do when we try to change our behavior without getting to the source, which is always the heart, the spiritual center of a human being. You see, focusing on changing behavior without getting to that source is just as ludicrous as putting a pump, sump pump into a flooded basement without addressing the real problem. The gospel aims at our hearts. Now, I want you to really hear this because this has proven in our church to be a very difficult pill for some to swallow. The gospel aims at our hearts where all prejudice is rooted. And while you may not like to hear this, it is a moral problem, prejudice, that is not confined to one skin color or one ethnicity. Every human being, to some degree, has struggled, is struggling, or will continue to struggle with prejudice. It's one of the most universal, hard-to-kill conditions of a sinner's heart. You want to know why Luke has repeated this story so many times? It is to show us just how deep 
prejudice can be and how difficult it is to root it out. And the world, listen, the world has all kinds of efforts. The world has all kinds of theories. The world has all kinds of mandatory sensitivity training. They have guilt mongering. They have books. They have theories. They have approaches. But none of them will be and will prove to be the ultimate solution. The only power that can truly unroot Prejudice from the heart is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you amen that? Only God can go that deep and change a prejudiced heart. And we're about to see this in action as we learn how God actually saves lost sinners. I've got three points for you, and I'm going to split the second one out into three more points. So here we are, very simple sermon. I hope it really, really impacts you. Here's the first one. It's the charge. And all three of these will begin with a C. So the charge, verses 1 and 2. Now the apostles and the brothers. All right, stop right there. Ready? You're, you're studying your Bible. You're reading this on Monday morning. I'm teaching you how to study the Bible. you got to stop. you got to get your contextual bearings. The whole church. The apostles and the brothers, the Christians that make up the church, they're back in Jerusalem. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard, Judea is the southern part of Israel, where Jerusalem was, heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So they heard about this. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, why is he going up to Jerusalem? It's because Jerusalem is on a mountain. So when you went to Jerusalem, you're always going up in the Bible. And when you leave Jerusalem, you're always going down. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now you're getting your bearings, right? Word has gone faster than Peter could travel. He makes it back to the central church in Jerusalem. They've already heard what Pastor Matthew and Pastor Kyle touched on last week. That the Spirit of God broke out on Cornelius, on his family, on his friends. And the Gentiles have come into the church. Word traveled fast and there were some people that did not like it and they're stirring up trouble. Look what Luke calls them. They're called in the ESD, the circumcision party. This is a cutting-edge group of men that love to celebrate. That was actually a very bad joke. And nobody actually got it, did you? All right, I'll move on. And they said to Peter, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. It's not a question. It's an accusation. Now, you've got to look at the heart. You've got to look at what's going on. Look at the word criticized in verse 1. Do you see it? Now, if you're studying the Bible and you want to get beyond devotional life, which you must if you're going to be tremendously used by God, and you want to study and show yourself approved, well, there's all kinds of Greek and Hebrew uh, tools all over the internet. You're going to go to the word criticized, and you're going to know that it actually means to draw away, to separate, to gain distance. So here's what we've got. We've got a group of people called the circumcision party. They have drawn away from Peter. They are getting some distance from him, and you'll know why in a moment. 
See, the circumcision party is a not yet fully organized faction of believing Jews. And they believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Now hear this. But they taught that you have to continue to uphold the law of Moses. So yes, they believe Jesus is the Messiah. It is salvation through Jesus. Listen, plus obedience to the Mosaic law. See, Jesus plus anything does not ever equal salvation. Jesus plus anything does not equal salvation. Jesus plus the Mosaic law equals you're trying to gain your own salvation. They believed that Gentiles could be saved, non-Jewish people. How? By trusting in Jesus and getting circumcised and going through ritual baptism. And until a Gentile changed, then no Jew should ever have any social contact with them. And if you do, then you are now spiritually unclean. Do you see why they're pulling away from Peter? They're gaining some distance. They viewed him as contaminated, unclean. And they leveled the charge at Peter. You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter, these Gentiles, they're saying, they're not yet spiritual Jews. They are unclean before God, and now so are you. See, there's a lot to this charge. It is energetic. It is antagonistic. And it cannot stand in the people of God. God will do something about it. Now we move to the confirmation. We just saw the charge. Now we're going to see the confirmation, verse 3. Peter began, verse 4, Peter began and explained it to them in order. Now here's the ironic thing. Now think with me for a moment. Just a little bit Previous to this moment, Peter would have actually agreed with the circumcision party. He was equally prejudiced. He had equal misunderstanding. He would have sided with them. But now he began and explained it to them in order. Now, I love this new version of Peter. This is Peter 2.0. Because the old Peter, you know what he would have done? I think. He would have said to them, do you not know who I am? I'm an apostle. I was one of the three. Jesus said he's building the rock on me. He gave me the keys to the kingdom. Who are you to question my authority? That's Peter 1.0. Now we've got the new and improved version of Peter, where God got a hold of his heart. Grace changed him. Friends, listen, if you still have rough edges, and I think I can probably guarantee you that we all do, God's not finished yet. God has not even come close to being finished. He has got a lot of tools in his tool belt. He's got a lot of power to continue to change us. He's got a lot of means to go down deep in your heart where that cracked inlet water pipe is that's flooding your heart with moral depravity. He's got the ability in your new heart that he has given to you at the cross to flood it with right desires so that you do right things. 
So he patiently responded, Peter did, with a testimony of what happened. And he noted, he is pretty smart, look what he did in verse 12. He noted he had six witnesses with him. Why is that important? Remember, we're, we're learning. We've got to study the word of God. Every testimony must be verified, God's word said, with two or three witnesses. He doubled it. He had six witnesses. He's the seventh. And he explained that God told him to go to Cornelius. And look at verse 12. And make no distinction. This is a direct attack at prejudice. And then he retells the story, and from his retelling, we can see how God saves lost sinners. Let me show you three things that are involved in the salvation of a spiritually lost person, and this ought to open your eyes and encourage you and let you look for them when you are witnessing two spiritually lost people. How does God save lost sinners? Well, the first is the word of God. The first is the word of God. The angel tells the angel had told Cornelius, can you look at verse 14, that Peter will declare to you a message by which you will be saved. Did you get that? There will be a message. This is the proclamation of the gospel. If you're trying to witness and try to show somebody salvation without the gospel, you're absolutely going to be ineffective. It is the power of salvation, the gospel message. And friends, I want to teach you, there's two types of revelation, actually, that theologians love to talk about. There's general revelation, and there's special revelation. And they always ask the question, how does a person in an aboriginal tribe in an undiscovered village of the Amazon get saved? Well, here's what you want to know for your own edification, for your own theological understanding, that a person cannot look at the vastness of the ocean or look up at a towering sequoia tree or look down at a red-spotted jewel beetle and suddenly realize, I'm a sinner in defiance to a holy God. I'm under his just wrath, but I am able to be forgiven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. There's nothing in creation that can lead you to that awareness. Everything in creation leads you in accord to your conscience, which is part of how you image God, that there is a being, there is a God, there is an orderly universe that speaks of an orderly God, but it will not lead you to salvation. Neither can a person... Be saved by closing their eyes and climbing into a lotus position and diving inward through the practice of mindfulness. You go journeying inward to find God. You're not going to find the God of salvation. How do you find God then? It is the objective word of God that opens the eyes to the spiritual reality that we find ourselves in. God's word is alive. It is powerful, and importantly, listen, this is huge, it is outside of ourselves. It is, it is not able to be tampered with. You cannot change it to match your version of the truth. It is God's truth, and it presses down on our soul. It is not part of creation, it is part of God's breath. 
It is the gospel. And Romans 1.16 says, It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. So you want to be a witness to the end of the earth, then you've got to know the gospel. You've got to be confident in the gospel. You've got to understand the gospel. And friends, you yourself have to be changed by the gospel. Then you bring the gospel to bear, and it opens up blind eyes. And it must be declared. So I would ask you to think about something for a moment with me. Have you ever thought of this? Why didn't God have the very same angel who told Cornelius to send for Peter, why didn't God just have that angel declare the gospel? After all, the angel had already made the trip. Why did he say that Peter would declare the gospel to him, the message? Friends, have you ever thought of that? Because in God's plan, he has chosen to use saints to reach sinners by teaching and explaining and declaring the good news of Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all, the Savior of anyone who will believe, the Redeemer, the Resurrected One, the Judge of every person who has ever lived. So friends, has he given you a business that you run? Well, then whose job do you think it is to declare the gospel? Has he given you a friendship circle of which you are part of? Why did he give you that? It is your job to declare the gospel to them. Has he given you neighbors that you're able to reach out to? Well, they are your mission field. Those are the ones to whom you declare the gospel. And when you declare the gospel, something will happen. Because it is the word of God that opens the eyes of sinners to the salvation that God offers to them. Now remember, what we're doing is we're answering, how does a person actually get saved? What actually is happening in the salvation of a lost sinner? Well, the first one is the word of God is objectively outside of them, pressing into them and opening their eyes to Jesus Christ. But the second thing that is happening is the spirit of God is working. The Spirit of God is working. Peter's talking to the apostles and the brothers, and it includes this circumcision party, and he tells them what accompanied the Word of God, the power of the Word of God. Look at verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And we saw this in Acts chapter 2, if, if you recall, way back in the beginning of this series. We're on part 27. In part 2 or 3, we saw the power of the Spirit of God fall down on the Jewish people. And it was called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. How do you know it's called that? Look at verse 16 of our text. Friends, this is how you study the Word of God. Scripture will answer Scripture. It will interpret Scripture. So it's called the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, it's where Jesus Christ dwells in a believer by the Spirit of God at the moment of salvation. So the moment that a lost sinner turns in faith to Christ, 
realizing that they can have a relationship with God only through his son Jesus, whose shed blood will forgive their sins. That very moment, the Spirit of God, which is the Spirit of Christ, comes down in that person's heart permanently. Remember, this is the Old Testament difference from the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come and go on a person. He would power a person to do something, think Samson, and then he would leave. The difference now at Pentecost forward to today even is that the Spirit of God comes down permanently. He dwells in you. So Christian, you actually have the Spirit of Christ living in you to help you do everything that God is asking you to do, to love God and to love difficult people, to be able to minister to people and serve them. You've got the Spirit of God pulsing, empowering you to do these things. In fact, there simply is no way, and I hope you hear this, there is no way a believer can endure in the face of the power of the deceiver, who is the prince of the power of the air, the pressures of this world that's trying to crush you into its shape, the pulsing desires of your own flesh that are tempting you to go away from God and go into your own means, you're no way you can endure that without the help of God's spirit. He has to seal you. He has to live in you. And this is the baptism with the Spirit. It's what Peter said happened to the Gentiles as the Spirit fell upon them. Now, interestingly, and I hope you really, really remember this because this is all around us. And, and these are your brothers and sisters in many cases. There's a lot of people that teach that Cornelius was already a believer when Peter arrived in Caesarea. And what we have here, when the Spirit fell down on Cornelius in his home, we have what they call a second baptism or a second blessing of the Spirit. So it's all predicated on the assumption that Peter's already a believer in the early part of chapter 10, and then in the final part of chapter 10, him being already a believer, now his second blessing. Now the second baptism of the Spirit comes. And that second baptism, our friends will say, will be evidenced by powerful signs, like speaking in tongues, like sign gifts. Now, if you're wondering what my view and what our church's view is on signed gifts and speaking in tongues, no, we don't believe that they've ceased, but we don't also believe they are the normal operation of the Spirit in every believer. God can do what he wants, and we, we ask him to do that, sometimes fearfully, to be honest. But the angel was clear. Look at verse 14. Peter will, that's future tense, declare to you a message by which you will, that's future tense, be saved, you and all your household. When did Cornelius get saved? It was not in the beginning of chapter 10. It was at the end of chapter 10. When Peter preached the message, when the Spirit of God fell down. 
And the book of Acts shows clearly that at the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit baptizes every single believer dwelling in that believer, exerting his great power. And as believers walk with the Spirit in loving obedience to Jesus and his word, he continually fills them. He changes their character to resemble Christ. He gives them boldness. He gives them clarity. He gives them power to witness to the Son of God. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is where you are sealed into the covenantal promises of God. It happens one time at the beginning of salvation. The filling of the Holy Spirit happens over and over and over. How? When you walk in obedience to Jesus by his grace, he fills you with more power. He gives you more desire. He gives you more opportunity. See, that's the beauty of the book of Acts. It links every time, 15 of them. The filling of the Spirit is always linked to the power and the ability and the clarity to witness of Jesus Christ. There is no salvation without the work of the Holy Spirit. He produces the third part of what we're about to see. Here it is, the gift of God, repentance. What actually happens when somebody becomes a Christian? Well, the Word of God is at work. The Spirit of God comes down and seals, and he brings a gift. He grants repentance. Look at verse 18. One of the most amazing parts of God's saving power is what we're about to read. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. Granted. Gifted. Handed, given, that's the language. Peter states here that God granted, God gave them repentance. It is that gift which leads to life. Without repentance, friends, you've got to hear this. Without repentance, which is a grace of God that you cannot ever earn, there cannot be new life. With repentance, you will have new life. Without it, you cannot. And we saw in Acts chapter 5, verse 31, you see it on the screen. God exalted Jesus at his right hand as leader or Lord and Savior to give repentance to Israel. Now he's granting or giving repentance to the Gentiles. It has to come from God. You know what I do when I'm praying and hoping and pleading to God for the salvation of my spiritually lost friends and family? Here's what I always do. It always comes down to this. I know you need to know, theologically and practically, they cannot be saved without God giving them repentance. So here's what I pray. God, would you give them repentance? Would you grant them the internal ability to do what? Well, what does it mean to repent? Well, if we're going to pray for repentance, we should probably know what it means. Here's what it means. It is God's gracious power working in the heart of a sinner to turn away from sin and the reliance on good works and turn toward Jesus in full confidence, full confidence of faith. 
See, now listen, you've got to get this down into your understanding. Repentance is always a turning away from sin, but it's not done yet. It's a turning toward God. And the only way that anybody can turn away from sin and, and toward God is if God grants them repentance. It has to be a gift. Here's why. Think on this with me. You have in you, Christian brother and sister, and if you're not a Christian, you've got it as well. You have this thing the Bible calls flesh, not your skin that you can pinch. This primordial part of ebbing and flowing desires deep down in your soul and in your heart. And that flesh rears its ugly head and walks away on the path of temptation. That flesh is made up of desires to be in cosmic rebellion against God, to want to inhabit his throne that he rightfully owns, to either ask him to slide over or get off because you're coming up. That's what your flesh does. And it does it all the time. And guess what? God won't redeem your flesh. He's killing it. The Bible says it's nailed to the cross and it's dying like a crucified victim and often took days for a crucified victim to die. Well, that's where our flesh is, Christian. God nailed it with Christ to the cross, but it's still alive. It's ebbing away. It is dying a slow death, but it still rears up against God. And that flesh will not let an unbeliever repent. There's no way. Not until God exerts his mighty power and grants repentance to a lost sinner. So that's what you pray. That's what I pray. God, grant them repentance. A sinner must repent. And that repentance itself is a gift of God. Truly, friends, truly, salvation is all of God. So how does God save a sinner? His living word opens the eyes to the power of God for salvation, showing that Jesus is Lord, Savior, Redeemer, Resurrected One, and Judge. And the Spirit of God powerfully acts and changes a believing sinner's heart, granting that person repentance so that they can turn away from their sin, the desires of their flesh, and turn toward the one who loves them more than anyone ever will and died for them. And friends, Peter says this is what happened in the home of Cornelius as the Gentiles were saved. Well, we saw the charge, we saw the confirmation. Now we've got to see very briefly the last part, and that is the change. The change. When they heard these things, who's they? Well, you might want to be careful on this. I think it's the circumcision party. They're the ones having an uproar. They're the ones criticizing. They're the ones pulling away. They're the ones separating. They're the ones accusing. They fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. 
The evidence Peter gave was overwhelmingly persuasive to the circumcision party. They stopped their accusations. The church glorified the God of both Jew and Gentile. And you read this along with me, and we might think, awesome. End of the story. Jews, Gentiles, one big happy family. And we would be entirely wrong. If you think the roots of centuries of prejudice, which is a belief that I am ethnically and intrinsically superior to you, that's what prejudice is. If you think that roots of centuries of prejudice can be pulled up from the soil of the human heart with one single tug, then you do not understand how deep and broad it goes. You see, that circumcision party is going to grow into a group called the Judaizers who will become the fiercest opponents of the Apostle Paul. They will follow him from city to city, stirring up opposition against him. Paul would actually call them out and warn the church of Philippi. He said, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh, those who insist on circumcision for the Gentiles. See, friends, I'm going to tell you that remnants, remnants of the Judaizers, the circumcision party, they're still here today. They're in modern-day groups like the Sacred Name Movement, the Assemblies of Yahweh, actually centrally located in Pennsylvania, who teach faith in Christ plus keeping the Mosaic Law. You can be a Christian by approaching Christ and putting your faith in Him if you also hold to the Mosaic law. This whole series, the entire book of Acts, friends, it is about one main thing. It's about the mission of Jesus Christ to be as witnesses to the end of the earth. That is entirely the thesis of the book of Acts. And as we have seen, God must do a continual work in the hearts of his people to do what? To overcome the obstacles in us that cause us to be unfaithful and unfruitful to that mission. Because our hearts are deep waters and God is determined to plumb their depths and purify them. How is he going to do it? His word is active. His spirit is powerful. And when the, the spirit takes God's word into our hearts, it will move us to confess, to repent, and to turn to our God in worship. And when we do that, change happens. See, do you remember that broken inlet water pipe that I told you about in the beginning, flooding the basement of that home? Is it a bad idea to install a sump pump and maybe a dehumidifier? No, good ideas. Will that get to the root of the problem? Absolutely not. Not ever. How do you get to the root of the problem? The source has to be fixed. Friends, if you're not on mission, and if I'm not on mission, let's just be utterly honest. God knows it all. 
And don't sit there going, well, I'm only 12. I'm only 14. I'm only 16. I'll get on mission when I'm 18. No, you won't. No, you will not. If you're not on mission, being a witness to the end of the earth now with the people all around you, then what's keeping you from doing it? Is it apathy? You don't care? Is it fear? Is it busyness? Is it worldliness? Is it faithlessness? Whatever it is, it's rooted in your heart or it's rooted in my heart. And what does God want to do? By his mighty word, he's going to show you exactly where the broken inlet pipe is. And when you see it, you confess just like me. You agree with God and you cast it on him and you repent. You turn by his grace away from sin and you turn by his grace towards the God who loves you. And you return back to him in worship and you give glad adoration that God loves you so much that he's willing to go deep down in your heart and purify you for his purposes. Amen? That's our hope. Let's pray for that. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the truth. Thank you for what we've seen, Father, from Peter through Luke. Lord, thank you that you do not give up on us. Thank you that you do not stay on the surface. Thank you that you know how to get to the root of all of our problems. And you can plumb those depths by the gospel. Thank you that your word is so active. It is so powerful. Thank you that the spirit of God has sealed every single Christian into your family, into your covenant of blessings. Thank you, Father, that you grant us not just once repentance that leads us to salvation, but Lord, you grant repentance over and over and over. And we are in sore need of it. Father, from my conversations with people in our church, there are some here, and I hope that they hear this right now, who have never, never shared their faith, the gospel, with anybody. And they're going to stand before you one day and give an accounting. But we're seeing that the book of Acts is showing us you've given us every tool we need. We've got the word of God. We've got the spirit of God. And we're surrounded by the people of God. So let's get on mission. And let's tell spiritually lost people, this is the truth. This is your hope. This is Jesus. And may you bring great fruit from that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can I invite you to stand and let's sing to our God as we close this service.
God, we praise you as we just sang. We give you all glory and honor and worship. Lord, we magnify your name. We lift you high in the name of your son, Jesus. We lift high in the power of your spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would have hearts that hunger for you. That we would hunger and thirst for your righteousness, knowing, Lord, that you will satisfy us. And we praise you and thank you for that. Lord, we thank you 
that you meet us right where we are, wherever and throughever and in whatever situation and circumstance we find ourselves. Lord, you meet us there just as you did Cornelius. And you point us and you draw us and you direct us to you and to your son. That we may be refined and matured and strengthened. Lord, in those times when we are convicted and need to repent, whether it's for the first time or in the middle of our faith journey, Lord, we pray that we would always have hearts that hunger for you, hearts of humility, Lord, that you would give us grace, that we would not be resisted by you, but that we would draw near to you and you would draw near to us. Lord, that we would turn to you as we confess and repent and worship you all the more. Pray, Lord, that we would be people of your word, knowing your truth, and proclaiming your truth wherever you send us, in whatever circumstance you put before us, Lord. That we would be people of your spirit, confident that we have been baptized and sealed in your spirit when we put our faith and trust in your son, Jesus, but also obediently and humbly seeking to be filled by your spirit every day, that we may do your work, that we may be made more like your son, Jesus, that we would be holy as you are holy, and that we would walk in the power that you have made available to us through the helper one who resides within us and comes alongside us and leads us wherever you would have us go. Lord, I pray that we would boldly proclaim your truth, that we would give glory to your name, testifying to your goodness and grace. And Lord, we ask that you would prepare the hearts of those around us to receive it, that they would hear as Cornelius and his entire household did. Lord, and that they would come to faith in your son, Jesus, and that they too would trust and submit to him. Lord, we thank you for all of the gifts that you always give us daily, every good and perfect gift. We thank you most of all, Lord, for your son, Jesus, your word that reveals him to us, and your spirit that leads us to him. Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Thank you for joining us online. If you are here in person and you are looking for one of the baby bottles to be able to be a part of that, they are in the back. You can take one. Church, let's go from here loving our God, loving His Word, walking in His Spirit, that may we do the work that brings Him glory. Amen? Amen. Be blessed, church.